Good morning, good evening, or good afternoon. Time is non-linear here in the cyber world of the internet. I would like to thank you so much for tuning in yet another day to this podcast, The Sunglasses No Cap. I am your host, Sabine Nguyen. I'm really looking forward to today's interview with Brahmin. He is a wonderful human being, and he is at the local to Santa Fe area Alma's ashram and became a devotee within the last three months. He has some wonderful art that um, I would like to share with you guys. If you head over to my YouTube, you'll actually be able to see one of the images that he gifted me with of Alma. He does some beautiful collage work and you'll get to hear how he got into that and how he's done that. And um, I'm really inspired by today's story, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. I would also like to uh, just take the time to thank you so much, like I said, for tuning in each week. Um, and also just for uh, contributing in whatever way, whether you're sharing the podcast with your friends and family or whatever you're doing to be part of the conversation. I am always happy to hear fresh voices, see new faces, and I am really excited about today's episode. So let's just get right into it. You're, are you like a full-time artist, would you say? I'm retired. I'm 63. I want to retire at 62. Oh, wow. And uh, I did fashion and costume design for the last 15 years. So I'm just now doing art again. I hadn't done art for you, so 15 you had, years. Wow, you had a huge... So I've only started getting back to doing art last year during COVID. Uh, I, when they asked me to do the piece of art for Amma's birthday last year, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll start making art again. And so I decided to retire from fashion design at 62. I didn't, okay, that's, that's really cool. I, um, I know that whenever I first went to Amma's ashram, your art was there on the table and I didn't know it was connected to you. Yeah. And then um, when I was looking at it a little bit closer, you, I think you're the one that was like, and by the way, it's all collage. Right. And I was like, my mind was like blown. Yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah. 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 So what, okay, so how did you come, how did you start doing this collage art? I mean, is it, you have like a, your work is in different, um, your work is in uh, studios or not studios, but galleries? Uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Like I had an online gallery show in New Zealand in February. And it was all goddesses from all different cultures. Whoa. What so, did you... Um... Mostly during COVID. Mostly everything has been online. There's not been a lot of art gallery shows. Yeah, COVID, COVID really changed the way that it we really did art. So... But I loved it. I loved doing an online show of goddesses, 11 goddesses from all the different world religions. Mm. So the online thing kind of gives you a different approach and opportunity to just scan the images, send them to the gallery. They post them. It's just yep. COVID kind of gave us a gift of just simplifying everything, you know. Mm. So, And now everyone goes to see online shows, you know. So, yeah, that's true. And a lot of people... Yeah. Are trying to display it so that it's more accessible art I feel yeah. like sometimes wasn't very accessible and um, so I'm really sort of getting back into art since I was doing fashion and costume design for 15 years so really when when they asked me to do the piece for Amma's birthday last year 
I just got so turned on by getting back into artwork and knowing I was uh, re retiring from fashion and costume design. So, so then I created the 11 pieces for the show in February in New Zealand. And then, uh, then I was juried in with this piece for, they chose 12 artists in the United States for the National Collage Society. Mm. So to, you know, to get that juried spot, probably out of hundreds of collage artists, that was quite an honor. And mm. then moved, uh, moved here in March. So I had my calendar in March. I had the show in February, moved here the first week in March. And, uh, well, you're the one who should be asking me questions. I shouldn't just be talking. No, that's, this is perfect. This is the way it goes. This is how it goes. Yeah. So what facilitated that change for you? From costume and fashion design back to fine art? Yeah. Uh, well, it was kind of a COVID miracle, really. Three years ago, when I, when I left my husband because of substance abuse, uh, mm. I had 25 years worth of art school and collages from all my years as a collage artist. And so I just decided to sort through my art during COVID and send it to different museums and places like an African-American museum for my African-American images, AMA collages to AMA to her center in, in San Ramon, California. And so three years went by and I never heard anything from anybody I donated art to during COVID, which makes sense. A lot of places in, in galleries just weren't open anymore, you know. Mm. So then last July, I get this strange email from this woman at Amaz Ashran in San Ramon. And she said, I was just walking in the office and a package of your art of collages fell on the floor in front of me and fanned out on the floor. And she said, I felt like Ama wanted me to see your artwork. So they contacted me. I said, well, you can go ahead and sell all that for Amma's Charities. And then uh, a week or two later, the lady texted me and she said, would you be willing to make a piece of art for Amma's bedroom for her 69th birthday? Whoa. For her bedroom, I'm just, my mind is just blown. It's like, who gets asked by what, the most famous guru in the world yeah. to make a piece of art for her bedroom? So my mind was just blown. So I took my time. They told me the colors that she wanted, the themes. And so I just created all the beautiful colors for Alma's birthday and uh, sent that off. And I did I tell you about the book about spirituality of Santa Fe? I think I had you mentioned did. that you. Had, yeah. you had mentioned it. Yes. Okay. I didn't know if I'd given you my book to read or something. I wasn't sure. But I mentioned the book to you. Yeah. You can borrow it. I think I still have a copy. But anyways, long story short is like you were visiting all those places in Crestone and yeah. stuff like that. I found a book at a thrift store that, and I gave you the book that showed all these sacred places throughout, mm, right. you know, throughout Taos and, and Crestone. And, and so I started really getting turned on by all the art and the spirituality from Crestone to Taos to Santa Fe, found out there was an Ama Ashram. So for two years, my, my dream was to move here but once I did the Ama art, that even turned me on more to want to come here and be a part of an ashram and create more Ama art, you wow. know? So I moved here the first week in March. I was all set to share a house with a woman in town. And I went to Satsang that Saturday night and I had like this epiphany. Huan Yin has been my higher power for thir over 30 years. 
But I always kept Amma's picture and always saw her as an aspect of the Divine Mother. But Kuan Yin has been my Divine Mother oh. for 30 years now. And so during the three years of COVID, I got like every book I could ever find about Kuan Yin. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could about her and the female side of Buddhism, not the male. Most mm. are men. And so for like three years, I've been wanting to find... Uh, a Buddhist lineage that would honor Kuan Yin. But all the Buddhist lineages I found in Santa Fe were, were male-dominated. Yeah. And I wanted the divine feminine. And so I always considered Kuan Yin my divine mother. And so when I moved here, I was disappointed to find that all four branches of Buddhism here were male lineages. Mm. The two Zen monasteries were mostly males. And nobody had a a path with her, with Kuan Yin. So that Saturday night, I came to my first satsang. And as I'm praying and singing with everybody, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like, wait a minute. Amma is the Divine Mother. She is a Bodhisattva. She is a female Buddha who's living in the flesh. And so I had to leave the room crying. And I was crying saying, how did I miss the boat? How did I not realize you are my divine mother, that you are my guru, you are my teacher? And so that next night, the woman said, oh, I don't want to have a roommate. And I just packed up 19 years worth of stuff to move here. Oh my gosh. And so I felt like I just became homeless like overnight. Mm. And so I called Kathy at the ashram that Monday. And she said, well, Amma doesn't want you sleeping in your car, being homeless, so come here and stay here. So I stayed there for eight days, and, and Amrita Priye and, and Steve went to Hawaii for eight days. So I was snowed in at the ashram. Apar was the only other resident than me. She was quarantined in her room for 10 days. So I had a whole ashram to myself. <laughs> and Amrita Priye blessed me with pictures of Amma that I could make Amma art. So like for those first eight days, I was in bliss of just having my whole ashram to myself and lying my art supplies out and kept making collage after collage of Alma. And uh, after eight days, when Kathy got back from Hawaii, I decided to ask her if I could become a resident of the ashram and mm -hmm. have Alma be my guru and my teacher. So that's how new it is. And so, mm -hmm. so in the last three months, I've made probably 15 new Ama images. Wow. So, so that's a lot of art to create in, it is a in lot. 12 weeks. Yeah, and, and especially with the medium that you're using. That's yeah, like, they're all handmade, so it does take time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, it yeah. takes time. So that's how I ended up in Santa Fe, and that's how I ended up creating Ama art. You know? Wow. So. Would you say that your um, collage style has changed since you shifted from whatever you're doing before to what you're doing now with Alma? No, not at all. No. Uh, I call what I do narrative collage. Okay. I say that my art is mythological, multicultural, and metaphysical. Mm. So I call them the three M's. Yeah. You know? And so my art is usually inspired by, you know, myths of ancient religions or Hinduism, Buddhism, multicultural in that I pull in all the different cultures of the world, metaphysical, and it's very new age. So, so that's what I call it. But I call what I do narrative collage because to me it tells a story, you know, of the deity, the Himalayan mountains. So the pictures tell a story, mm -hmm. you know, 
and this one with Amma is kind of the southwest desert version of Amma. Like she's in the probably like the Arizona or you know different southwest, and uh, so they're like picture stories, you know. Uh, there's a story, you know, in each picture, like Swamiji came from San Ramon about six, seven weeks ago and did a satsang. And so I put him in the picture. Um, and then Amrita Priya said, well, you need to do a Alma of the Desert. And so I went and did this one. It has kind of a Georgia O'Keeffe feel with the paintings of the sky and everything. So, uh, so no, it's not any different. It's just I'm a focused right now. Nice. Uh, no, I've always celebrated all the world religions in my art. And for my thesis in my graduating year of college, I compared Native American shamanism to Celtic shamanism. Mm. And I did 27 pieces of art. And that year I went to Native American uh, retreats and pagan uh, pagan workshops and just to compare the two religions, mm. you know, because they have stone circles in Native Americans, the Celtics have stone circles, they have the Divine Feminine and, you know, the Goddess Bridget, and they have Mother Earth, you know, they have great, great the grandfather and grandmother spirit energies. So anyways, I compared those two in my thesis. That's really interesting. I know that we've sat together a couple of times well one time mainly where we got to really sit down yeah. know each other um yeah. and we were talking about our relationship with religion and how that's exactly. manifested yeah and yeah. so like in christendom i don't feel aside from the mother mary um there's not a lot of celebrated female yeah like uh well there's not a lot of celebrated women characters there in really aren't in christianity i yeah. mean well I was a Franciscan Catholic, but we were more New Age Christians. You know, we, we loved Buddhism, Native American spirituality. So I was reading an article in the Catholic Reporter by, by a, a feminist Catholic nun. And she basically said, why should I settle for a religion that's about two men and a bird? meaning God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, right. <laughs> and so when I read that, it, having grown up very conservative Christian with just Jesus and the Father God and the Holy Spirit, I knew what she meant, you know, that, you know, where's the feminine in Christianity? And so then I did my first altar with a picture of Mary and stuff like that. And then I started learning about, you know, the female Buddha. And I made an effort to start to discover the divine feminine in all the different cultures of the world because I felt like she kind of gets buried under all the male deities, you know. So that got me on a on a path with the divine feminine. With That's why my show in February of 11 goddesses from different cultures of the world was very important because uh, we're often in Christianity often left with just a few options. Yeah. Of, of, you know, the higher power female energies on the earth, you mm -hmm. know, because Sophia energy uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Sophia was originally wisdom. Yeah. But the dove, the Catholics and the way they did with the ancient religions is when when they were recruiting the pagans, they would take some of the pagan symbols with them. So Sophia, who was wisdom, a, a female 
she was the female aspect of the deity, becomes the dove, mm. which is borrowed from the goddess Venus. The dove was associated with goddess Venus. Well, I didn't know. So the pagan Greeks and Romans and stuff had the goddess Venus. So the Catholic Christians were like, well, let's borrow the dove from Venus since the pagans already know the dove is that symbol of love and the Holy Spirit. Let's combine it with Christianity. So Sophia, the female deity in, in, in Judaism, got lost and they took the dove with them instead from mm. the goddess Venus. So we did have some ancient female roots in Judaism. Yeah. Uh, and Lilith, she was another one that was, uh, I don't know if she who she was. She was like the mother of Mo Mo Moses. Anyway, she's the mother of Abraham, I think, who the whole Juda Judaic uh, religious came from. But anyways, if you you can explore Sophia and you can explore Lilith. Yeah. And those are the two oldest female aspects of the divine in Judaism that in Kabbalah, in Jewish Kabbalah, they still honor Lilith and Sophia. Yeah. But by the time Judaism got watered down and it came to Christianity, we just ended up with the bird. Yeah, <laughs> we kind of lost the two women that were kind of the inspiration behind wisdom and stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's how I started uh, exploring the divine feminine side of God is that when that, deal, when that feminist said, well, why should we only worship two men and a bird? And so that gave me the freedom and the license to explore. And once I started exploring, the goddess was popping up everywhere in all different world religions. You know, mm. and I just thought like, wow, that's really cool. So I kind of became like a spiritual archaeologist and started unburying her from all the world religions. And it was really wonderful. But she's still my favorite Kuan Yin, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and the way she appeared to me is I was on a massage table at Amazon Ashram in 1990. And this woman was doing energy work on me. And at the end of the session, she says, well, did you have any experiences while you were on the table? And I said, yeah, this like Chinese woman in this beautiful gown appeared to me. At the time, I was a very serious Catholic Franciscan. And she said, oh, that's Guan Yin. I'm like, well, who's Guan Yin? She said, she's a Chinese goddess of oppressed women and children in China. At the time, I was doing inner child work because I grew up with physical, sexual, and emotional abuse in my childhood. And it made sense that the Vajjapa of mercy and compassion would adopt a young man and say, I'll be your divine mother because my own mother, GSS, took us away from her because she was very abusive. So I really needed a divine mother. So I think God knew that. And, and in that session on that massage table, God sent me a divine mother. But at the same time, I'm at Amaz Ashram. And so I get darshan from her. So I get another divine mother. So it all started uh, when I was 30 years old with the divine feminine. And I think once you open that vortex or portal in your heart chakra, you're open to whatever's going to come to you in the forms of, of deities or, or the feminine energy that you might be craving because you did not get that from your birth mother. Mm -hmm. you know? So it made a lot of sense that, uh, that the Divine Mother sort of adopted me as her, as her son. You know? mm -hmm. But I just was so Catholic, I didn't want to be Hindu. And I didn't know anything about Buddhism at all. So I resisted it for a long time. There is a little you know? bit of a, like, a, 
in Catholicism and in some Protestant religions, it's very frowned upon to explore anywhere outside mm-hmm. of your, you know, stay in your lane kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So, was like, did you experience much resistance or were you, did you have to, like, work around any kind of religious upbringing? Yeah, I was I was in the ex-gay ministry for like seven or ten years because back then they wanted you to pray the gay away, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so it was, yeah, I married a woman. I did everything that the pray the gay away movement told me to do. I did it for about seven or eight years. And then the female and male leaders that were leading us out of homosexuality went back to the gay lifestyle and left us without anyone to show us the way out of homosexuality. And then I was going to a fundamentalist Christian charismatic church and then Jim and Tammy Faye Baker got caught you know embezzling money and Jim Baker got caught having homosexual sex with one of his staff members Jimmy Swagger same religion got caught with a prostitute my two leaders in the ex-gay movement were back in the gay lifestyle and I thought to myself wait a minute if these people can't keep it in their pants and there are religious leaders or if they're going back to the gay lifestyle leaving me with no direction then who am i to deny myself you know to be gay or whatever you know and uh, so i really became distrustful of christianity at that time and so i started visiting different uh unitarians the baha'i faith I started exploring outside my conservative Christian upbringing to find out what worked for me. And then I discovered a group of liberal Franciscans that were taking care of men dying of AIDS. And wow. so I started doing AIDS ministry with that organization. And as I was loving these gay men who were dying of AIDS, I had an epiphany like, wait a minute, if the same God that loves these men through my ministry then he must love me as a gay man and Whoa. maybe it's okay to accept myself. And so that was my big epiphany. And then I went, then I, we opened a Franciscan monastery that was very new age and liberal. So we'd teach people about Buddhism, Hinduism, Native American spirituality. And I went to, uh, uh, 1990, I went to London, England, and we went to an interfaith service and There were scriptures from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Native American, Pagan, Sufi, Sikh, Baha'i. So they were reading scriptures from all these world religions. And I was a boy that was grown up with one scripture, which was the Bible. And we were told that was the only scripture in the world. Mm -hmm. And here I am at this interfaith service, people reading scriptures from their religions. And I just... That's where my mind just expanded. And I was just like, wait a minute. I am over just being told this is the only way. This is the only scripture. So that changed my life forever. That got me on this journey of of studying all the world religions, you know. Mm. And then in 1995, I asked Alma for my spiritual name. And she and they said, your name's Brahmin. I said, well, can you spell it? Because there's different versions of Brahmin in Hinduism. And they, they spelled it B-R-A-H-M-A-N, yeah. which is like the high, absolute, you know, deity of the universe. And Alma leans over and she said, you universal love. Wow. And I had just started exploring all the world religions. Wow. And so a few months later, I go to art school 
and I start doing art of all the religions of the world. And so I became universal love and she knew she was like preparing me to become this artist that celebrates all the world religions. So that you can't get much more universal than that, yeah. you know, and she has such love towards all world religions. Alma yeah. does. So, uh, so yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Growing up in fundamentalist Christianity and, being trying to pray the gay away for seven or eight years. Yeah. <laughs> I went through a lot to get to that liberal place where I could, you know, accept the divine in any form that he or she comes in. Mm -hmm. you know? There's this ongoing meme inside of, uh, the ongoing meme is that like gay, gay persons, they, they, um, they can overcome anything, like no matter what it is. And like, even if it's a physical obstacle or a challenge in their life that, yeah. um, and it's because they've done so much work in trying to just be as they are yeah. and be authentic to who they need to, how they need to show up. So it's like, I feel like the, um, the homage that us inside of the gay community that we have with deity is like super, um, inspiring to a lot of people because like like you said like if god can love these people through me then that means god right. can love me through me right yeah could love me and that was a that was an epiphany for me too and uh well the thing you were just saying uh the thing about us gay folks we're hairdressers we're we're you know we we do the sets for operas, you know, we make your fashion and your costumes, we do your hair for you, we do your nails, you know, uh, we'll interior decorate your home, you know, uh, we'll hand make your own couture clothes. I mean, so really we are gifted with making the world beautiful. Yeah. You know, our yeah. tribe specifically makes the world beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so when AIDS hit, it took away of so many of those men you know, it ice did. skaters, ballet dancers, opera singers. I mean, it was really a sad time for the gay community because we were the ones who were making the world beautiful at that time. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that AIDS is over, that there's the right medicines for these people. And I believe, Ama even says that even men can be mothers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She said even men can be mothers, mm -hmm. which is a nice metaphor for me because I'm very divine feminine with my energy. And how I consider these is this is my this is what I give birth to. Mm -hmm. I'm pregnant with these ideas and they become my children. Yeah. And so I see that I, I maybe never biologically gave birth, but I feel like these are my babies. And so I do give birth mm -hmm. in that way through creation. Well, and that's really telling of your name Brahman because what I've understood about the Brahman is that it's like this, um, the universal void. It's like that space where there is just emptiness, mm -hmm. um, the way that we would perceive it as yeah. looking at it like that. But um, what I was told about that void or like that emptiness is that it's pregnant with potential. And yes. so like whenever you first came into my awareness while I was at the ashram, that was kind of like the very much like that um, energy of like the divine mother, the, the divine feminine in that like uh, womb-like state of mind and being able to express how, whatever needed to be expressed. And I feel like yeah. that's kind of like your role is like whatever the story needs to be told, whatever story there is, yeah. like you're going to be there to tell it. Well, you know, the you see often hippie women, you know, in photos hold you know they're showing their baby bump and they got their hands there hugging the child and they talk about 
reading poetry to them and singing to them and playing classical music for them while they're in the womb. So one night I was in deep meditation and bliss a year ago and I was in a candlelight bath with incense and all of a sudden I looked at my Kuan Yin statue and her hand was just like that. Oh, and it was wow. like, And it's like she spoke to me like, you were in my womb for nine months oh. and I just loved you. You had a very loving nine months in my womb and... You know, I always sort of yearned for that, you know, mm -hmm. to have been loved instead of have a 17-year-old, you know, teenage mother who didn't want me, you yeah. know. So, like, last year when I was asked to do Amma's artwork for her birthday, my mind was so blown. It was just like, what? You know, I've got a Buddhist, mother, you know, divine mother. I've got a Hindu divine mother. And Oprah hugged me, you know, I got, yeah. to be, I got to be on the Oprah show. I didn't know that. And so I'm lying there in bed last year and I just started crying and I'm just out of gratitude. I'm like, who gets to have three divine mothers, Kuan Yin, Ama, and Oprah? <laughs> and I just thought like, that is like the best divine trinity of divine mother energy that yeah. anybody who gets to do that in their lifetime, yeah. hug Oprah, five dart being held five times by Amma and have a Buddhist bodhisattva just adopt you and say, I'm your divine mother. You know, it was just wow. such a trip to be like, wow, I may have been unwanted by a 17 year old mother, but look who does want me. Yeah. You know, look how universal and how loved I am mm. you know, by the divine mother. I'm sure that's been like a really loving and healing journey that you've experienced. It really has been. Uh, yeah. Can you describe any of the challenges that you've experienced along the way? I mean, outside of, of course, your relationship with deity, of course, has been very difficult. But is there anything else where you feel was like a real uh, stepping stone or a hallmark moment for you? Well... You know, low self-esteem comes a lot out of those of us who are abuse survivors. You know? Yeah. You know, your low self-esteem is definitely a struggle you have. And my own birth mother said to me, well, you're not a real artist. You just cut up pictures and glue them together. And that's a wound. That's a mm. sharp judgment on her part. So when I sent the 10 images to Ama last week to be blessed by her, there's that insecure little boy inside of me that's like, what if she just sees it as not real art and it's just pieces of paper glued together? And so, yeah, that's probably a bit of a struggle is when your own physical mother puts that negative energy into your consciousness and then you begin to doubt, have doubts and fears, you know, that affect you. So, uh, so yeah, I, I wish I'd heard back by Alma, you know, does she like the art or not? But it's just... You know, they're kind of trivial insecurities that your brain and ego just floods your brain with negative things that you just have to constantly be alert of and, and gear yourself back to the divine mother and the love that really is who I am. Mm. I'm not that little boy that was unwanted, mm. you know, but it doesn't mean it doesn't come up once in a while. Yeah, I was you know? experiencing that today with my podcast and the work that I'm doing online. I had a moment where I was like, why am I even doing that? You know, like that, those moments come up where it's like, oh, yeah. But it, to me, it's like this challenge to like see, okay, what are you really about? Like, yeah. what do you really want to do this? And it doesn't really matter to me so much now that I'm moving through those like yeah. moments yeah. that I don't really care. I don't want to be like this big old, well known person. I like to just 
express what I'm expressing because this is what I feel like I'm here to do. Yeah. And I don't really have that desire to be famous or whatever. Uh, I just really want to serve the divine, you know, and, and uh, that's enough for me. You know, I don't have aspirations of a museum or, you know, whatever. I mean, I just, uh, yeah, I just, I'm happy. You know, the only challenge I have is only three months living in a Hindu ashram, you know, you know, being a gay man for most of my life and having been married for 12 years to my husband. Uh, you know, when I moved into the ashram and decided to be a renunciate and celibate, it's, it's kind of an overnight change for me to go from being a gay man to being a celibate person in an ashram. So that's probably one of the only challenges I have right now because I, I try not to look at attractive men downtown, sorry. Okay. Um, you know, so it's really, so I'm really trying to, you know, you know, run my canoe on the rapids of how to do that, how to be a gay man, but decide if I want to be celibate at the ashram and, you know, I might be a householder where I may meet another husband and get married a second time. And I'm open to that too. So that's kind of new for me is like, you know, uh, when you're an openly gay man and you've been married for, you know, with your husband for 12 years and, you know, you watch movies and you both see sexy guys and you comment on it like, oh, look at him, isn't he hot or whatever. Or if you're just walking to downtown Santa Fe near the movie theater and you see attractive, you know, young men or it doesn't matter how old the, the men are. Uh, so that's the only thing I'm struggling with right now is that, you know, I'm not a monk, you know, I'm not a brahmachari, I'm not a satyasin. When I moved here, I had like really nice fashionable hats and styled hairdo and jewelry and bracelets and fashionable clothes and it was all like most artists like look at me I'm an artist you know but when I came walked through the doors of the ashram I was dressed like the artist with all my fancy clothes and jewelry and I just decided like I will renunciate all that stuff I don't need to look outwardly like an artist I will get in touch with my inner artist and then this is what I want people to see, not the outers. So I donated all my clothes and jewelry to the homeless downtown. You're awesome. So I'll see all the homeless walking around with my favorite hats on or my favorite jewelry. <laughs> That's awesome. I saw this one homeless guy in one of my most beautiful velvet purple jackets. And I looked at him wearing it. And so once in a while, I'll see one of the homeless and one of my favorite pieces walking around downtown. And I'd be like, oh, I really like that piece of jewelry. <laughs> I wonder why I'm so drawn to that. Yeah. Oh, it's so hysterical. But I really wanted to shed that skin mm -hmm. and be open to the guru and the teacher. Mm -hmm. so, so that's been a big transition for me. It's only 12 weeks now that I've been living in an ashram and becoming a renunciate to renounce all those outer layers you know right. and you know it was sort of imp important to have all those fashionable clothes hats and jewelry because I was a costume designer mm. fashion designer and I have to go to fashion shows so yeah the whole reason I wore all that outer layer stuff is it's sort of a way to identify and say oh that's the fashion designer art blue you know so uh so yeah when I decided to retire from costume design and fashion this year I moved to Santa Fe to do AMA art. 
it just made sense that I just said that because it really was not a, that important to what my goals were spiritually moving here, mm-hmm. you know. So it kind of was a natural part of the process. I didn't even know what a renunciate was. I kind of just knew that, yeah, I don't want to be, look at me, look at me. Because uh, I decided to go on a spiritual journey 12 weeks ago with an ashram. And so that meant reevaluating where I was in my life and what I was wearing or what I, how I want to appear. So it is a little strange that people see my art and... A lot of people think I'm a woman because I do goddesses, you know. Mm-hmm. So they always thought Art Blue is the name of a woman's company who does goddess artwork, you mm-hmm. know. So that's been one strange layer that I've had to, you know, correct people on, you know, that men can love goddesses too, yeah. you know. But I think a lot of misconceptions in society are that the divine feminine is associated with the goddess, which is associated with women. And that's not necessarily true. Mm. And so it's kind of a myth that I like to challenge in my artwork and say that, you know, and uh, I made sure when I did the online goddess exhibit in February, I used my name Arthur in the exhibit because I figured that'll cut out any doubt. Art Blue does kind of sound like an artistic yeah. name of a company. Yeah. So this year, I've had to reevaluate how I present my name to the world. Brahmin is kind of the male ultimate deity of, of you know, Hinduism. So, so yeah, I've had to think about that, about uh, presenting myself to the world as Arthur Blue or Brahmin. And that I don't, I don't even need to explain to people why I love goddess artwork. It doesn't matter. If it turns me on and it creates beautiful images and people respond to it, that's the relationship I'm looking to have, not with how I look on the outside or, you know, so it's, so I think that's a, you, you develop a relationship with your artwork, which I think you're doing yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I see that in the picture you gave me and, uh, and the same thing about seeing them as your children, because I will never have biological children. So uh, I think probably that relationship to yourself as an artist and to be intimate with yourself is probably of the utmost important. And then expressing your intimacy with your subject is important. And then let the intimacy flow with the people who look at your art and how they respond to it. Because a lot of times, my least favorite art will be the number one selling piece that I have made. Mm. And I'm just like, really? I don't even like that image, you know? So you can never outguess the viewer because the viewer brings a whole new perspective to your art that you never even thought of. I did a piece of surrealist art when I was in college and I had this beautiful floral, you know, you know, cushion chair just floating through the universe. And this woman emailed me and she said, oh my God, I just climbed into that comfortable chair of yours and I just floated around the universe. And I'm just like, really? I would have never thought of climbing in my own chair that I put up in the universe. But that's what I love about the interaction with the person, the viewer. Right. I think, and you'll probably, you're young now, but you'll probably learn that as you go on, you know. You're doing it already for artists, you know, when you like that woman's piece that you just showed me, when you responded to my art, Mm. you know, 
that's a gift that the artist gets that's that's unconditional and loving that you you never expect to get a response from your art that's not why you create it you know? that's true yeah. but the fact that when you do get it uh it's a teacher it teaches you what people respond to you know what is there inside of them that you have triggered sometimes it's a loving beautiful energy other times it's grief you know so you have to leave space for the viewer yeah. and that's why a lot of times in japanese and chinese art and stuff uh you leave the empty spaces because that's how the viewer comes into the image if i had put more birds here and butterflies and cactus plants and everything it just becomes too busy at that point yeah. you know so that's when you're in art school and you study Japanese art and stuff. That's why when you see like these calligraphy paintings and stuff in Japanese and Chinese art, you'll see a lot of empty space. And a lot of that is because that allows the viewer to come in to the artwork. You yeah, know? that's interesting that you say that. I'm going to really take note of it and um, hold that dear to my heart because yeah, that's something I've been experiencing as a as a upcoming artist is like leaving empty spaces and I'm taking a design class right now uh, online and it talks about how not to be intimidated by empty spaces. Yeah, a lot of us think we need to fill all those spaces and that, and that's I think something you know that you learn when you're in art school and mm -hmm. when you create your collection of art, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but always be willing to let the viewer mm -hmm. give you feedback too because uh, like Amrita Priye, uh, well, Amrita Priye said, well, you should do an ama of the desert. Right. Well, I hadn't thought about that, but it makes sense that I'm living in the desert. And uh, I wanted to put a deer here because there's always signs up in the mountains, deer crossing or whatever. I've never seen one. <laughs> and then as I was going through my Hindu images, I came across this Swami and I smelled camphor coming off the image, which is the smell he lit in the, at the altar when oh, wow. he did his puja. But I didn't want him. I wanted a deer there. And then Amma was like, put Swamiji back there. And I was like, I don't want to put Swamiji back there. I want a deer there. So I put Swamiji in it because Amma wanted him in there because he was just in Santa Fe doing a satsang. And so, uh, yeah, it's one way to remain open to intuition. And yeah. sometimes it comes through Christ or Alma or whatever. But there are times when you're channeling something from a higher source and you're creating art and you don't even know mm -hmm. sometimes why you're doing that. And, you know, somebody could respond to a piece of artwork and said, well, I had cancer so-and-so and I saw your picture of Kuan Yin and, you know, and so I, I think the universe is a mysterious place and I think Brahman is a part of the mystery yeah. of the universe. And uh, you'll learn as you're going on. It's it's wonderful when the universe winks at you to say, like, you're on the right path, you know. <laughs> yeah. That was a good decision artistically or whatever, you know. Yeah. And the same thing with maybe your least favorite pieces, to mm -hmm. also be open to that they are your children too and that your audience or your viewer, you know, wants to have art to enter into because people don't create art like you and I. You yeah, know? that's true. And uh, like yours, that picture you had with all the mudras that you were holding. I mean, you know, for someone like me who studied Buddhism and Hinduism, it has a big 
you know, space in my heart for someone who maybe would not know anything about mudras or anything like that mm. might respond to it on a different level, you know. Yeah. So I really like that piece. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I think that um, the element of art, when I think of art, I think of spirituality and maybe even religion. But like there's an element of it just being simple. Of, and those are often the pieces that receive the most because people, like you said, they can put themselves inside of the art. And like, I think that when we create a spirituality or a relationship with deity that is simple, people are um, free to put themselves inside of that reality. Well, I prefer to use the word spirituality than religion just yeah. because religion gets a really bad rap. Yeah, for know? sure. And spirituality feels more fluid. You know? Yeah. So you seem like you grew up very Christian. Mm -hmm. When did you make a shift to spirituality from Christianity? Because you seem very expansive and open yeah. to to Babaji and mm -hmm. to Ama and so yeah, I how think, did that happen? I think that it kind of like was always there um, as far back as I can remember. And I just knew the resistance that I would receive from my family and I did receive that resistance. And um, it's weird to see them on their, I feel like I watched my parents grow up because I was born to some really young parents. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And so you get to see them grow up and see them go through shifts and changes themselves. And sometimes those were hard rights and sometimes those were hard lefts. And so whenever they would make a shift from like a kind of like expansive mindset, I would be left there. And so I'd be in a very explorative state. And then all of a sudden I had to go back to just one way or the highway. Yeah. And the highway was definitely going towards hell. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I think that it's always definitely been there. And I've always been searching and seeking. And I just like had, like you say, an epiphany one day. I was like, wait a minute. God is so much bigger than what I want to put them in and I, I like to use the word them because god is a community yeah i like that yeah. and um i i've had some really intense uh, mystical experiences through psychonaut journeys whether that was through um an inebriated state and i've also had others that weren't uh, yeah. induced in that way but um i really did see god expressing like when jesus said you're the hands and the feet like i really do believe that yeah and so that that just like totally it like blows it out of the water for me. It's like, no, God is like close, as close as the ear is to the mouth. Yeah. So that's why I guess I've always been interested in the world religions. And I think I did that too. I think I expanded, you know, went back in, yeah. contracted, expanded, contracted. I think I had to do that a number of times in my life because I was so Christian. I yeah. mean... You know, and I needed the Christianity at the time because my family was abusive and out of control. And so Christianity for me was like the safe haven. You know, going to church was a way to get out of the abuse and stuff. And so mm -hmm. it was such a safe place for me and such a sanctuary. And I went to Bible school. And of course, that's, you know, narrow. And, yeah. you know, uh, so probably when... I began to distrust fundamentalist Christianity when I saw all the leaders being promiscuous and out of control financially. You know, I think that's almost like a little mini earthquake that opened my consciousness up to say, wow, I don't have to go to a conservative Baptist church anymore. Why don't I see what else is out there? Yeah. What the buffet looks like? You know, yeah. even though I was still looking within the Christian vein, I just knew like, wow, I've never given myself a chance to explore Unitarianism or Baha'i, you know, and uh, 
So that was fun. That was fun to give myself permission for a year or two to just explore mm -hmm. and not commit to any one choice, you know. So when I met those Franciscans taking care of men dying of AIDS, it was another expansion, yeah. you know. It's like, wow, it's still Christianity, but it's very expanded. Yeah. <laughs> Painting with full paint strokes. Yeah, it's like, wow. And then that Catholic the theologian lady, when she said, why should I settle for a, a, a religion about two men and a bird? And I just thought, like, never thought of it that way. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, I mean, I do like Mary. I like Jesus and all those things. And Coley said, I, you met Coley, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. So Coley said when he had to go into Amma's bedroom, I guess sometimes you have savor to do and stuff, and he had to go into Amma's bedroom to do something. And he said there was like a small Krishna statue, but a giant painting of Jesus on her wall in her bedroom. Wow. And, and she is very much like Jesus when she kissed the leper, when she healed him, you know, just... Uh, miracles that she does or that happen you know just uh so ama is that kind of like you know before ama we always would pray to god when we had right. desires or needs or whatever so it's kind of cool to see her as you know omnipresent and omnipotent and everything you know just like uh you know i don't know i see her very much when she healed the leper she's brought uh, a dead girl back to life. I mean, she's just, you read her about her miracles and her books and everything, and you're just like, she's a lot like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> she is. And that's why maybe you were drawn to certain, you know, people, you know. Uh, yep, yeah, so I've got three loving mothers, and I don't have a mantra. Amma's never gave me a mantra, so I made up my own. It's Amma, Amma, Quan Chi, and. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I'm a Quan Chi and Oprah. <laughs> That's beautiful. So I made up my own mantra for, like my, for my meaning. three mothers. That's beautiful. That's so perfect. <laughs> I feel like at this point you have had such a journey that I feel you have license to create your own mantra. Like that was exactly. That's like really powerful. Yeah, I use it when I find myself in a difficult spot. It's just like you're loved by three divine mothers. Like, don't even go there. You know, you can have monkey brain or judge yourself because you have a lustful moment or whatever. But that's what's nice about having Coley and, and Steve there and, you know, just Ananda, you know, because we're all still human beings. You mm -hmm. know, as a gay man, I'm not going to stop looking at, at gorgeous men. I mean, it's just like a part of my makeup, you know. So I think I'm easing into more relaxation of being a gay man living in an ashram it doesn't mean that i'm a, a monk you know right. and so you know so like noticing beautiful men is fine it's what you do with it after that moment you know if it becomes mm -hmm. lust if you start addressing the person you know so some learning as i'm going along because i never in a million years thought i'd live in an ashram you know that's really cool. It's really, um, it's really powerful to hear that story, and I think that, like you said, it's not, it's not too heavy-handed with the way that we are with ourselves. We can have a lot more compassion, and a lot more, um, just uh, authenticity and bringing yeah. that to the table. And uh, oops, 
yeah. yeah, I feel like I'm my most authentic self now. Yeah, you know? I can see that. Yeah, sure. I mean that I've shed all the outer layers of having to look like a costume designer, and you know, and and it's just so interesting because the the costume design stuff I decided in April was going to be my last fashion show, but then I knew I wanted to move to Santa Fe in March, so I made the decision to retire and not do that last fashion mm. show. So my last fashion show was last year. I did a hundred year homage to the great Gatsby happened in 1922. So in 2022, oh, right. I did a, uh, a 1920s great Gatsby collection. That's so that so was cool. my swan song, my final collection, yeah. you know, and even, you know, I think even in fashion, I think I was also very spiritual. I chose two Asian models who, got out of a communist country and came to the United States. I chose another woman who was mixed Filipino. I chose an over, uh, oversized black woman for one of the costumes. And, and so even when I'm like choosing models and stuff, I tend to choose like the underdog or the person that would probably love to be a model, but was too short or never would be able to do it. And my thing is like I can make and break the rules if I want to. They don't need to be size zero or size two girls, you know. And I pride myself in that of not picking the typical girls on the runway. So even though I was in uh and the Filipino girl, she wrote me a beautiful spiritual letter because I gave her like a Kuan Yin statue and I gave her a Kuan Yin book, you know, because she was very interested in developing a, a relationship with because she was domestic violence was in her her marriage and her son, you know, was birthed out of that. And so, uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a good window to know that, uh, even the things we doubt maybe is fashion too materialistic, you know, should I not have done that for 15 years? I think you get that God wink that says, no, you're doing good things. You're letting yeah. two young girls, 18 and 21 from a communist country fulfill a dream. And now they're, actively modeling and yeah. I've seen him in another show. And so, uh, so I'm sort of like this fairy grandfather to these little 18 and 21 year old girls who are just like, they'll call me up as their fairy godfather of fashion. And they'll be like, well, I've got to be a fairy next week for a photo shoot. Will you help me? So, <laughs> so I, I think you can really see the divine in anything, you know, if you're really open to intuition, if yeah. you're open to helping the underdog. And, and so uh, that's why I'm hoping we could be like mentor friends, because I'd love to encourage you to uh, live yeah. in your bliss and, and explore and, uh, and be open to pieces maybe you don't like to still show them because the viewer is, is now a, an intimate part of your relationship, which you'll you'll discover as you go on. Probably mm -hmm. not yet, you know, but you'll discover that, you know, that mm -hmm. each, you know, the, the deity, the artist, the viewer, you know, once you begin to see that all those are in relationship together, you know, that will open a new portal for you mm -hmm. to consider the, the viewer being a part of your new relationship. Because mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of artists think about that. Yeah, it can be difficult too, and and then it can be um, overwhelming to consider everyone's opinion. So I think that there's yeah. some sort of balance that's required there. So I'm really well, and the opinions are really up to you because you can say, you know, uh, 
you know, what you think of me is none of my business. <laughs> That's so true. I know people yeah. have written down the No, no, are. it's just like, what you think of me is none of my business. Because, yeah. no, I will have critics that will be like, well, why didn't, why did you put that bird there or whatever? And so you have to kind of silent that critic, you know, intuitively and inwardly. You don't have to react to that person. Because sometimes people are pushing, poking the bear because they want to get a reaction. Mm, that's true. So even my mom just saying, well, you're not a real artist. You know, it's like I've won an award with the National Collage Society. I've exhibited at the Art Collet Museum in Paris, France. I've been several times an international exhibition in New Zealand. You know, so it's just like, uh, don't tell me I'm not like a real artist or whatever. Wow. Yeah. But that's when you're in your strong side of yeah. you, you know. Yeah. Kind of like a protector archetype. Yeah, the protector or side. Yeah. But if you're having a bad day, it's easier for those old versions yeah. to, and old tapes to climb in there. Yeah, it just know. waits for a weak spot. Yeah. Um, I think we're running out of time. Let me go check. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we're right on schedule. Oh, so to wrap up, um, yeah, yeah. I just want to ask... If you could, uh, you could give a piece of advice to your twenty-year-old self, what would it be? Uh, love life, mm. yeah, okay. and follow your bliss. Yeah, okay. I think that would be it. There's a quote: uh, um, "Let the beauty you love be what you do." Wow, that would be my message. Okay, it's a real. Real good signpost. Let the beauty you love be what you do. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brahman. Oh, you're welcome. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs>